Is now a good time to talk about how much I love and adore my child? And no time like the present. Dave, when did you start resenting your children? (laughs) Just call them out. I think it was like maybe two or three months ago, maybe. Around Christmas, maybe. What do you think? I got a a few more years. Those lists are long, Stan. They're long. A few more years of love left in me. That's my favorite replacement song. <laughs> a few more loves, years of love left in me. <laughs> yeah. Is that a Paul? We- that should be a Paul Westerberg song. If it's not, it's right on. Is the B side to Dyslexic Heart? Did I tell you guys a couple weeks ago when my oldest son was like, I was hanging out with him, and he goes, "Dad, I have something really important to to ask you to tell you." And I'm like, "What is it?" And he goes, "I think that we should start calling each other bro." <laughs> <laughs> And now he wants. What do you say to that? Now he won't stop calling me bro. I'm like, that's not okay. I'm dad, and now he calls me Dave and bro. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not cool, man. And today I tried to explain to him if you have to call me Dave, it's below. I told him that calling me Dave was below calling me bro. So the order is dad, yeah. bro, and then Dave. And he's like, no, no, no. It's the other way around. It's Dave, bro, and then dad. And I'm like, oh boy. He, so he, so he thinks Dave is is appropriate. He thinks whatever he wants to do is appropriate. And the only thing that works is trying to take away Minecraft. Well, don't take away my Minecraft now. Hello and welcome to episode 165 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, how are things in Chicago for you? Everything here in Denver is amazing. So I, I want to give you the opportunity to tell me what's amazing for you and your family in the glorious second city. Weather's good. We took the the child to brunch. He really did a good job, charmed some nearby tables. That's his job, right? That's right. The weather's really only been good the last like six hours. And listen to us. We're like, it's amazing in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. It dipped yeah. above 50 at 2 p.m. this afternoon for the first time. It was t- it was 17 degrees yesterday. That's right. Yeah, it was a huge 180 from yesterday, which was like the worst of the winter. Just we were lucky that it wasn't wet. And then today was like a hint of spring. Beautiful. I can't wait. Hint of spring is my favorite payoff card in Elves. <laughs> it only sees legacy play. Yeah, I know. We'll have to we'll have to start planning a Chicago founders retreat sometime soon. Hopefully, before it gets too hot. You know, when spring's here. I, I I do have something to say about that, but first we should mention that also with us, the Godfather, fellow Chicago, and Dave Harbarger. Yeah, I mean, I prefer the Bro Father now. I think that's that's kind <laughs> of what people have decided. I'm really called. I hope that's okay with everybody. The God Bro. Yeah, the Gabbro. I had some. I I uh, I also had a nice afternoon. We took the kids to a lot of places today. We did lunch and dinner out, and uh, yeah, I'm filled with skirt steak from Maya Del Sol in Oak Park, Illinois. Let me hear you, Maya. Get at us, Maya Del Sol. It was good. I sponsored this podcast. I'm also full of beef. I had a Culver's butter burger for dinner. Oh, holy crap! Uh, that is one burger I do still miss. Yeah, it's a good that's one. A good, that's a good burg. You know, speaking of the Chicago Founders Retreat, when you're back here in Chicago, now that it's relatively safe to gather with friends and family in, yeah, in public now, places. Let's beat the next wave. The three of us should take a drive up to Jimmy's Grotto and do like a little Wisconsin road trip. 
get some deep fried calzones. What do you say? 100% on board. I think that would be fun. I will say, we haven't talked about this much, but Shane and I are going to Dallas in a couple of weeks. And I'm extremely unprepared to play in a large modern <laughs> tournament, but I'm going to do something. It'll probably be audibling to some build of prowess uh, less than 48 hours before. But um, yeah, maybe that's worth mentioning. I got to pick a deck and just play like two leagues a week. That's like about what I can fit in with my other card game responsibilities that I don't <laughs> actually have. But I definitely, I think I should, I should hit up a modern event this week. I have the time. And then I'm going to be in, I'm actually going to be in Portland the week after next. And I'm going to see some citizens of the nation up there. And we're going to play some cards and eat some foods and drink some drinks. So that'll be fun. You know, other than doing leagues, you guys can also play in the Manitrader's qualifier leagues right now. It is modern. Some oh, that's good practice. Some good, some good practice. And maybe you can earn some store credit. I need to I need to be doing that. I will be doing that. Uh, I mean, this is an interesting intro for everything. We're going to be talking about a lot of random stuff this week. Although, is it that random? It's a long list of random things, I guess. Sort of, yeah. On this week's show, we are reviewing the first Magic Online 5-0 deck dump of the post-Luris metagame in the return of a little something we like to call the people's meta. People's meta colon life after Luris is what I'm calling this one. Or should we call it love after Luris? I don't know which one <laughs> I, I feel better about, stronger about. You, you know, the people's meta, we had, what, maybe three, four months ago? Dave, it was just you and me. It was when Stan was on paternity leave. Yeah. It's episode 142, I believe. It was kind of, it wasn't necessarily a throwaway episode. It was just something where it's like, what can we do without Stan? And have some back and forth. And that was one of our more popular episodes of like the last year. And so I am hyped and hopeful to do this again. I'm hopeful. One, I'm hyped to talk about this with you all because it's a it's a new era of modern. And two, I'm hyped to bring back to the citizens of the nation and the listeners something that they seem to really enjoy. And let's talk about what this is. So we're going to look at Friday, March 11th's deck dump, right? That's right. That's right. We're going to look at every deck that appeared in Friday, March 11th's deck dump in some way or another. We will at least name them and hopefully name check the pilots if we remember to at this point in time and try to use that as a lens to understand what's happened to the modern meta since Luris has been banned. And then on top of that, after we do that, we're, that's kind of the unfiltered meta take. We're going to take a look at the results of this weekend's Hunter Burden Memorial Tournament's which happened in Texas as well, to see what a more competitive question mark meta kind of emerged out of it. It was a tournament with 475 people. You know, we think that everybody's trying to learn from what's happened so far. And so we'll kind of take a look at that more uh, large field tournament versus what the leagues are. So big breakdown episode this week. Lots to talk about. We will be speaking quickly. Mm -hmm. Before all that, though, we should housekeep because we got a couple new patrons. Shout out to the newest citizens to join the Dive Down Nation, KCG and Will C. We also got a couple new reviews. I wanted to say a thanks to Old Man Fingers, who did point out that you see a guard approach is a strictly better card, but as far as modern MTG podcasts go, the Dive Down is the best. I think it's a strictly worse podcast name, though, right? <laughs> like if, if we were to say, welcome to the You See a Guard Approach down i don't i don't think that it would have the same resonance and i think most people would think that we were a real play dungeons and dragons podcast yeah it's 100 percent a real play podcast i i love that they, they put the card like in scryfall bot mm -hmm. syntax 
I like that quite a bit. We also got a review from uh, Drac V underscore Popper. And I love these kind of reviews where it's like, I don't even play modern. This is one of my favorite MTG podcasts. <laughs> Just like, yeah, apparently we're, we're such a, a utility tool for the listeners out there that they're going to listen to us even if they don't play modern. So thanks for the, the shout out and enjoying the pod, even though you're not a modern player. Thank you so much, Drac B. McVee, for tuning in. Apparently to hear me talk mean about my kids and talk about steak and talk, hear Stan and Shane talk about sunshine sometimes. Um, I will say that name for some reason just reminds me of that classic strong bad email where it's <laughs> I, my name is Trevor. I am a vampire and <laughs> I'm a vampire and and what? <laughs> Man, I mean, look, it's it's there's a lot of stuff to reminisce about the internet and like you look back with rose colored glasses, but I don't care because strong bad email was really funny. They were really good. A lot of stuff to reminisce about the internet. <laughs> Shame. Sometimes the most profound things come out of you so effortlessly. Don't don't you think we are? I mean, we're very deep into internet nostalgia wave 3.0 right now at least, right? I mean, there's so many at this point. I mean, we're we're 30 years into the internet now, 25, I guess, loosely. It's definitely at least third wave. We're like we could, we can remember I mean, that's the the flash era was like 2000s, early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like what is in between that? Like what what was important about the 10s? Like MySpace? Yeah, I yeah, mean so- social media. Social yeah. network like early social media and, stuff. And piracy. Oh yeah, early piracy. The, that was really important. The ubiquity of LimeWire, Napster, BearShare. Yeah. Kazaa. So, so right now, since we're on third wave, that means that TikTok is the mighty, mighty boss tones of the internet. And here here we go. Oh yeah, we have I mean, like I reminisce about uh what are the six second ones? Vines. I want I want oh, Vine back. Give I me miss some vines. vines. Yeah. Oh, so good. Anyway. All right. If you'd like to support Whatever this nonsense is directly, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down, where as little as $1 a week will, for some reason, motivate us to continue to get on here and talk about ska whenever we can, uh, and also Magic the Gathering as much as we can as well. Uh, that's uh, patreon.com slash the dive down. The big thing is, if you want to come and talk to us on Discord, $1 a week will get you entry to our Discord server. Also, if you'd like to support us while you're playing Magic check out manatraders.com. It's the service that we use to rent Magic the Gathering cards on Magic Online, where if you use code THEDIVEDOWN2022, you can get 15% off your first two months of using Manatraders rental service, manatraders.com. And finally, we're also brought to you by our latest sponsor and the best smelling sponsor. I mean, Manatraders might smell pretty good, but uh, I think Barrister and Man is definitely the best place for you to purchase some good smelling products. Uh, I actually I did my my newly patented Sunday 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 routine where I do the Sunday shave, take a little bit of extra time. Mm-hmm. I use their best selling Seville shaving soap. Uh, loved it as usual. I've been rotating through things like Waves and what is the and Passiflora and Stan. You've been loving the Paganini's violin that you've got right. Love it. Love it or leave it. That's what I say. <laughs> You're not going to leave it because it's awesome stuff. Barrister and Man, we've been working with Will for a few months now. He's a citizen of the Dive Down Nation. He's a Magic fan. He's a Rakdos mid-range and probably some other decks, players. And Titan, yeah, oh, man. Well, I like the first part a lot better. But yeah, if you want to support Will, support us, head on over to Barrister and Man. That's M-A-N-N. You can get men's shaving stuff. You can get body soaps you can get lotions you can get all kind of stuff for your house for yourself and if you use 
coupon code the dive down 2022 you get 15% off your first order and let's will know that we sent you there so check them out if you are interested now with all that out of the way guys i don't know about you but i've been playing a lot of modern this week i was really excited to get on that horse and and ride into the wild wild west of the post luris league scene i actually forgot that the mana traders format was modern which is really what i should have been playing but i was just like you know i'm I'm knee deep in PPs and and ticks right now. I've been going infinite, so I'm just like, well, I guess I got to do three leagues a day instead of my internet marketing job. I need to support my family with these tickets. That's right. So I'm really excited to go through these this five O deck dump because it's really been pretty crazy out there, and I'll share about some experiences with the decks that I faced, including some of the surprises that I've seen. I think most, if not all, of them are represented here, and. I am excited to just start off because we're going to dive right into one of the decks that has actually been impacted by the Luris ban. Yeah, and I just want to say one thing really quick before we hop in. The way that we have looked at this kind of people's meta format before is to organize the decks that we see in these deck dumps into three buckets. The first bucket is what I would call current mainstream, which is sort of decks that everybody understands to be towards the top tiers of modern, or at least things that you are expected to see. That's the first group that we're going to talk about. The second group that we're going to talk about is what I call past mainstream, which is, hey, somebody has a deck that used to be good, used to be a deck that we've expected to see a lot, and they're trying to still play within the leagues or maybe tweak it somehow for this particular metagame and see where it goes. And then the last bucket is the rogues. And these are decks that were maybe never quite mainstream meta decks, still obviously can 5-0, still might be picked up by certain kind of format specialists for various reasons. But those are places where we can look for two things. One is decks that are just kind of outside the meta and still doing well, or also decks that might be new brews that are starting their climb into the mainstream. And so it's a little bit of a tier list in a certain sense, but we're not trying to say things that are tier one, tier two, tier three, or whatever. It's more like expected old expected and then those stuff that's really wild that we can talk about and we're going to talk about the current mainstream i think vaguely in a tier list order probably more so than any of the other ones in in my mind at least in tier of maybe importance if not um you know viability basically because you know right now i think we're mostly thinking about how to order things in the context of the luris ban and so like stan said we're going to start with the big one we are going to start with Death Shadow decks that were in this Friday, March 11 uh, drop. So this drop had two different Grixis Death Shadow decks in it. One was piloted by Freed Mania. The second one was piloted by Pan J. And they're pretty different, I, I would say, in, in, in the sense that one of them is basically the original list, the, the most recent list that we've had, where, you know, we talked about this last week. We said it was maybe a meme. I'm not sure if it's a meme anymore. This deck is running Gigantha the Wellspring as its companion, uh, just for value, basically, to be able to go grab a 5-5 later in the game. And this, But on the other hand, it's still running most of the rest of the core of the previous version of, Gre of Death Shadow. It's got DRC, it's got Ragavan, it's got Kroxa, it's got Death Shadow, it's got all the spells that you would imagine. It's even got Dress Down and Bauble still, of course. Both of those things help dragon's rage channeler get big although to be honest one one question i would have off the top here about this deck for you all maybe i just haven't played this enough maybe i haven't played it well enough dress down 
still making the cut in these decks universally from most of the people that I've seen playing playing Death Shadow. Small surprise to me, I guess, a little bit, but no. I mean, it's just like such it's such a flexible piece of tech, right? Like it, it's it's both a combo enabler for you and a piece of like essential essentially it's a piece of interaction to eliminate the power of your opponent's cards at the same time and not a lot of cards can do that right yeah i i was just vaguely wondering a little bit if people would still be rallying around this card without luris and of course they still are because it's just that good yeah and we see dress down appear in other non-luris decks especially in the sideboard because it can serve a lot of defensive and offensive purposes so yeah, it's just like a better team or battle rage at this point. I think it's probably going to be the primary go-to for top-level Death Shadow decks moving forward. Yep. And then the real spice of this yeah, list, this, though, this is this is like what I'm like. Why are you bearing this lead, Dave? Well, I mean, I think that we want to talk about. Hey, most of this deck is the same. However, you know, the thing that you get to do with Luris being gone is run permanents that are more than two mana value. And what one did they choose to run? This deck is running a two of Kaito Shizuki from the most recent set. Uh, Kaido Shizuki is a legendary Planeswalker. It costs one blue-black for a three-mana Planeswalker that says, at the beginning of your end step, if Kaido entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out. Yep. And then plus one, draw a card, then discard a card unless you attack this turn. Minus two, create a 1-1 blue ninja token with this creature can't be blocked. And then minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever... A creature you control deals combat damage to a player. Search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle. A lot of attacks. Th- this Planeswalker is interesting. I know we want to talk about it, and I actually think the best discussion we can have is if we jump to this next GDS deck and mm-hmm. compare the two Planeswalkers because they're similar but different. Go for it. So this next GDS deck is by Pan J. And this is a very old school. Like, this is Boomer Grixis Shadow. This essentially. Is, this is an yeah. absurd deck. I mean, this it's is, just it's just Death Shadow from, like, 2019. This is like, this is like 2017 plus Royal Science. Well, and plus two Unholy Heat. So that's the only uh, Modern Horizons 2 card that's in here. And by when we say that, we really mean it. There's no, uh, there's no Dragon's Rage Channeler. There's no Ragavan in this deck. The creature, no Kroxa. Yeah, there's no Kroxa. This creature suite is Death Shadow, Snapcaster, Mage, Street Wraith, and Gurmag Angler. Yeah, the only actually new card here is a couple copies of Unholy Heat. Right. And then we have some like Turok Dreadcanter in the sideboard. Yep, exactly. It even plays a one of Ceremonious Rejection, which has some very strong, I lifted <laughs> my old it's, deck from five years ago energy. I thought the same thing. I was just like, okay, we really have Ceremonious Rejection, which is one, I think, prescient because we'll talk perhaps a little bit later about the potential return of Tron. But it's it's one thing I want to talk about, Panjay, is either they came out of MTGO retirement like two weeks ago, or they're on a really good run because they had nothing on the resume for over a year. And now they have two recent trophies in the deck dumps. And more importantly, perhaps for Panjay is that this is just, this deck is seriously like almost six year old tech besides two different cards. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think like, could this style of deck just have been winning this entire time essentially, but we just had a better version of it. Like right. just, that's just how good this style of deck is. Yeah, maybe. So let's talk about the walkers, right? Royal Scions and Kaito Shizuki. Shizuki, yeah. What's interesting to me about them is that they have very similar plus ones, which is draw a card, discard a card. Okay? 
Though with the Royal Scions, you're always looting. With Kaido, sometimes you just have like the charter course effect where it's like you get to draw that card for free if you attacked. And at, for, at first, I figured I almost wanted to flip these two walkers across these two decks because the Kaido Shizuki deck has Dragon's Rage Channeler and Ragavan. And with a card like Royal Scions, giving them, you know, the first strike and buff seemed like a really good ability on a tempo-oriented, cheap creature style of Death Shadow. I've come around to this. I actually, the thing I really like about Kaido now is that he does both things, where if you want to fill up your graveyard for Kroxa, or um, maybe get rid of dead Ragavans, or even try to get Delirium online for Unholy Heat and Dragon Race Channeler, he can sort of do all of those things. Or if you just want to fill up your hand and try to regain a little bit of card advantage, you make that unblockable 1-1, one, one, he's protected for a turn because Kaido phases out, and then from then on, you can just swing with your unblockable ninja and draw cards. So I think this is like a really interesting piece of technology that can maybe upgrade the slot that Royal Science sort of used to occupy. I, I'm, I'm no shadow expert, but when I look at the abilities and the starting loyalty of something like Royal Scions versus Kaito. I, I have to admit that I, I see Kaito, I mean, excuse me, I see Royal Scions as fitting into what the deck is trying to do more strongly. But then we see multiple people, and including, I think, Michael Rapp, right, David? Like you you, you shared a, a tweet from him recently where he had a really good run this weekend. He said, like, what, he went 16 4 across, across two different a few PTQs. Challenges. No, two, P- T- two PTQs. So he came in. Ninth and one PTQ and tenth and another one, I think, with the build that I shared, which is essentially actually this Freed Mania build that had two Kaidos and, and kind of a really similar build to that that one. So clearly, you know, he's having good luck with, with Kaito versus the Royal Scions. Uh, so there's definitely something there to warrant this this card's inclusion. Yeah, I think Stan kind of hit on it, which is, it's twofold. It's the fact that you can manipulate it to discard a card if you want to, but also uh, keep, just draw if you want to as well. I mean, you can even plus one Kaido before combat if you really want to discard for some reason later when you're still going to put in an attack. So there's lots of different ways to kind of craft the situation to go different ways. And you have pretty aggressive attackers in Shadow at this point between Ragavan and DRC, so I think you're mostly going to be turning it on. And I think that the phasing out thing might be a little bit more useful than it seems like because you don't have to hold back on your proactive plan when you play your card advantage engine and try to protect it. You get to play it. If they can kill it on your turn, fine, but then they can't interact with it on their turn, and so then you get a chance to get a couple of activations off it, most likely. Yeah. I also feel like the, your point, Jen, about starting loyalty, though important, we're in this era right now where the removal is so efficient and so diverse that we just can no longer be precious about trying to dodge it. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like if your opponent has the thing that's going to kill your thing, you just have to accept it. And that has contributed to a more mid-range environment, more so than maybe Luris individually did in the past. Yeah, sure. So I think well, that I think well, let's let's move on here because we have another Shadow decks to talk about. But Grixis Death Shadow people are definitely innovating question mark in it i mean we have we have a couple of lists i feel like there were a lot of lists that are really close to where we were and then we have this list that is really retro we have seen some lists that have murktide in them 
but that didn't show up in this drop. I don't know if anybody's really hit on one where they feel great with having Merc Merktide at the top of that list and playing a bunch of cantrips again. But the other list that we have to talk about is Mardu Death Shadow from Aspiring Spike, friend of the show, Everett Mohan. And we talked about this a little bit last time, but this is an interesting deck because it is not one that uses Gigantha as the companion. It uses Obosh the Prey Piercer and has a bunch of odd mana value cards in it, including Ragavan, Death Shadow, Ranger Captain of EOS, Season Pyromancer, four of each of those, four Street Wraith, one Gurmag Angler, because, yep, that's a seven drop. Uh, then you've got kind of what spells you might expect in Mardu. You've got Inquisition, Thoughtseize, Lightning Bolt, Prismatic Ending, and then the real spice here, I think, is that to do some kind of recurring stuff, you have a, one, a three of Unearth in the deck, which is an interesting kind of move for this shell as well, to be able to bring some cards back, including uh, things that draw you cards or search things like Ranger Captain and Season Pyromancer. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask in the context of this deck, like... Let's talk about Unearth for a second, because I'm curious just how much worse Unearth is going to be in a lot of these decks than Luris. Like, yeah, it's obviously worse, but has Unearth been like underplayed, do you think, over the the past few years of modern, or maybe the past like year of modern, especially, where it's just like Unearth is super efficient and cycles and does a lot of things that you want to be doing. And now maybe because of unearth uh, three mana value or less, like you mentioned, Dave, like maybe it just has uh, even higher upside. Stan, you've played with unearth a lot over over the years, and in fact, this week, I think, if that's right. Um, how? What do you think about unearth? I mean, it's a one mana spell. It cycles. We, we've had some fun times with it in the past. Yeah, I think the the thing. So short answer, Shane. Yes, I think unearth can actually start to see more play. Because it is an MH1 card, and MH2 unlocked MH1 to some extent. And Luris, if anything, helped keep it down because it has the same effect, and Unearth is just more narrow. It doesn't get bobbles or dress downs or other pieces of permanent technology. The thing that Unearth kind of demands of a deck building is you really want to have powerful three drops more than anything. It's, it's kind of like Coco in that way, where it sort of incentivizes you to play these powerful three drops that do somehow impact the board, either on ETB or, you know, even in Ranger Captain's case, uh, having like a sack ability, just something that lets you unearth and then do something else. And card is good. I think it also expects you to have a pretty threat-heavy deck. So in that way, there's sometimes odds between unearth and mid-range removal-heavy strategies where it's just like, you want to make sure you're drawing all of your creatures so that if you're trading off creatures as resources, your unearth has more value than just being a two-mana draw card. Because cycling is what you do if you have multiple unearths and not enough creatures. All right. So at our current pace, we'll get through about 15 decks. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to warp through some of these next ones. There's a lot to talk about with Death Shadow. Uh, the next deck's deck we had on our list was, is it Murktide piloted by Mardu Pyromancer Master from way back in the day, Selfie Sack. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yep. 5-0 in this time. league with an Is It Murktide list that featured Delver over Ragavan. So three Delver, one Ragavan in this particular list. You know, I there. this was the only Murktide list that was in this 5-0. I don't by any 
stretch of the imagination think that this was the only Merktide list that 5 would in that time span on Magic Online. You know, this is just all the lists I think are so consolidated that the one that was different kind of ended up in the drop and also uh, ended up blocking all the other ones from being in the drop. I don't think there's a lot of innovation going on with Merktide right now, but as we'll talk about later, it was the deck that was registered the most in the Hunter Burton uh, tournament, and it's still showing up in challenges. It's certainly one of the top decks in the metagame right now. Stan, you've been playing Merktide some lately. Do you have any thoughts about it post Luris, or is it just a better position? Let's move on to talk about something else. I don't even think that's a better position. I think it's just still a great position. There's There's room to innovate. This selfie sec deck doesn't have the blue channel land, which is something that I've been impressed with in Merktide in its ability to blow me out during mirror matches where <laughs> I'm not playing it. But but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I would personally still play Ragavan over Delver, but you can understand, like, there's a case for playing Delver, especially in a deck with Bobble, but also, like, Delver is better in multiples than Ragavan can be. I think Ragavan's a better card overall. Maybe maybe Delver is a, a better card in the mirror. Maybe just because it's another turn one three power evasion creature. Yeah, in the air. Yeah. In the air is a thing. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next deck on the list. We had Hammer Time. There was one Hammer Time list piloted by Testin. I would say that this was a stock list. It's basically everything yeah. you would imagine being in here. It is a single Steel Shapers gift build and has two spell pierce main which i haven't always seen in in hammer having those kind of counter spells main uh the only notable new thing is that this deck is running one nettle cyst which we all kind of thought would happen in this particular post luris version of the deck hammer still yeah, so we, have, we, we, we don't see this going to any kind of like sword build they're not doing the crusher bot thing yet so but yeah, I mean, that is worth as a worth having as a one of. It's another thing you can tutor up with, uh, only with Stoneforge. But you have Urza Saga to take care of all your other one or zero drops if you so are inclined. Exactly. Yeah, I, I saw this deck a lot in leagues, and it's it's still great. I just I don't think there's any concern that Lura's ban is going to kill this deck. So if you are a Hammer player, fear not. You can still play Hammer. So many people did fear, though, as well, as in, in Hunter Burton, as we'll talk about later. Yep. All right. Next bucket of decks here. Blink. Blink, blink, blink. So this is a deck that everybody thought would get better because it now is probably the best deck with what people think is the best companion now, Yorian. There were what I would say were four different blink lists in this particular deck dump. So there was one from uh, Katoriark, one, two, three. Carusu, Martinez DP, who we've talked about many, many times on here, and new mystery player who we are wondering who if they might be someone famous from the magic world. Onlylands.com. Yeah. They keep turning up in different places. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reason we say I just want to shout this out because this is really either this player is outstanding and decided to get into magic online, or there's somebody else, because in the span of two weeks, they have two challenge top eights, a challenge 21st place, and then a couple league dumps as well in two weeks. So onlylands.com, we have our eyes on you. Who will you reveal yourself to be, mystery fighter? Um, <laughs> the thing that's, that I think is interesting about these particular builds, and I, you know, obviously there's, there's going to be one that's stocked to what it was before the Luris ban happened. That's the Katori arc list. I'm sure that there's something interesting about the build that they registered um, 
it has one ephemerate, for example, they don't all have ephemerate anymore. One thing I did notice is that a lot of these blink decks now have a couple of ephemerates in them. They didn't necessarily have it before, but this one is pretty much the stock one that you would imagine. After that, the list registered by Caruso and Martinez DP, both of them were a little bit bigger. So Caruso was running things like Season Pyromancer, also running Mages of the Moon, Meddling Mage, Wall of Omens, some kind of like specific cards, and along along with Eldamri's call for kind of a toolbox element to it, also had Eternal Witness to go with this. And then finally, Martinez DP kind of had the one that was at the top of the list of bigness in that it had the Ephemerate uh, Eternal Witness Time Warp combo as a package as well, which is something that we used to see a lot at the beginning of when these four-color ephemerate blink decks kind of started getting getting uh, more mainstream maybe six, eight months ago. Uh, other interesting things, the Martinez DP was also running Renegade Rallier as well, running a single Valky. There was a whole bunch of different stuff going on in this list. Uh, what do you guys think about these blink decks right now? I try not to think about blink very often, David. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's good <laughs> commentary. Dismissive. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't play decks like this. I don't have this is this is what you want to hear from your podcast host, right? Says like I have no insight on how to properly build or approach these decks. Like, I don't think there's at, a consensus on how to build them. That's the thing. Yeah, we don't, we don't see. I mean, it's lots of good cards, and I think what's they probably operate at different speeds, right? Like yeah. they have different ways of trying to turn the corner. Yeah, I think that's the the point here too is that it looks like people are starting to experiment with blink getting bigger and even slower and more over the topish than it was before. I forgot to I, I neglected to mention that the Martinez DP list was also running three uh, a three of bring to light as a way to do a number of different kind of tutoring things for different payoffs, whether you want to go get Valky to bring Tybalt in or whether you want to go get your time warp with, with bring delight or something like that. So a lot of different kind of angles going on with this one where it's just kind of playing around with inevitability a bit more. Yeah. The thing, um, the things that are interesting to me about these decks is first of all, Renegade Rallyer. I had asked out loud a judge, judge looter scooter, whether, you can use Renegade Rallyer to cheat in Tybalt if you have Valky in the yard. And before you try that yourself, the answer is no. So, did the work for you? Bring to light does it, though. That's the, that's the important part. That is the important part. This only lands deck. That's the one I want to talk about, too, because this is the one that's a different take. And clearly, yes. we're kind of established that only lands has quite a resume already. This is a weird deck. So this deck is chock full of Planeswalkers. It's got 15 Planeswalkers in it. It's a bit more of a blinky kind of like Planeswalker control deck. It has four Renin Six, three Teferi Time Raveler. Then it has two Ashiok Dream Render, two Gris the Hunger Tide, two Liliana the Veil, and two Wandering Emperor for a grand total of 15. The creature package then is Ragavan, Omnath, Fury, Solitude, which you expect to see in a lot of these decks. And then finally... For Karth the Lion. Karth the Lion, which is the uh, rare from Modern Horizons 2 that searches up a Planeswalker when it enters the battlefield or when a Planeswalker you control dies. It looks at the top seven cards of your library, reveal a Planeswalker, and put it into your hand. And then it also makes Planeswalkers loyalty abilities you activate cost an additional plus one to activate. So it, quote-unquote, reduces the cost of yeah. Planeswalker abilities with that that strange templating uh, we have seen karth decks in the 5-0 drops before but it was sweet 
yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see it in this kind of build, this four-color blink build, which I don't think it appeared in, has appeared in too much so far. Also for Oath of Nyssa to be able to also search for those plant, sweet, sweet planeswalkers. So th- the reason I wanted to highlight this deck personally is because this to me is a sweet way of building a Yorion deck where it's like, how are we going to make Karth good with a ton of stupid planeswalkers and then also <laughs> have like other good cards? And it kind of has to gets to keep the cake and eat it too. Uh, also, this this deck is twenty four hundred dollars in paper. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I did not realize that. Like, let that let that sink in. When when I imagine I imagine drawing my opening seven with this deck and it's being like, hmm, interesting. Yes. Yeah. And then just losing terribly every time. Yeah, I, th- I think Karth was not on our bingo card of like cards that get good post Luris. <laughs> Yeah, hey, this, it could be. I mean, this is just novel the, novel ability. Yeah. I, I think this is another one where it's just just a bigger version of Blink that maybe is good at beating other Blink decks, right? Because it's harder for like Solitude doesn't do as much against this deck because so many of your threats are Planeswalkers, and then on and on and on, kind of. Yeah, and even though Karth is a four drop, never underestimate the ability for Ragavan to let it come down on turn three, and likewise. What this deck reminded me of is that Ashok Dream Render is a good card. Yeah. This is a card that I think has been underplayed ever since Luris because of because of that particular thing. This card is incredible. Totally agree. And I think it's very relevant against a lot of decks in the format to this day because it makes your opponents unable to fetch anything. So whether it's Stoneforge Mystics or Fetch Lands, like I think that is relevant. And being able to erase graveyards in any decks with Unholy Heat and Dragon Race Channeler, I think, is also pretty important. Not to mention how good it is against Amulet. Just get out of town. This this card's good. Play it. Before we get into this, I do want to say we did some sleuthing in the background. We found out. We found out who OnlyLands.com previous identity is. And okay. they are Professor Professor French. Ah. And on Twitter, they are at PT Bench. So at PT Bench, we know who you are now. And we're, we're keeping our eye on you because you're killing it. Oh, good run the last couple of weeks there. Um, all right. Speaking of Amulet Titan, the next bucket of decks that we had on here is the Titan decks that we have. So there were two different Amulet lists in this particular drop, surprisingly, because there's not generally a lot of brewing in the Amulet space, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And then there was one Titan Wish slash Titanscape deck that made it in the 5-0s. You know, the Amulet Titan list that is in here, I think is what people have been circling around for the last couple of weeks, which is they're playing a few Boseju, of course. They're playing a couple of Cultivator Colossuses generally. And then the other thing that has really happened with Titan lately is that they seem to be running a ton of turn, turn timber symbiosis at this point, I think is a mana sink and just something else to do with uh, with their awesome lands. Uh, but other than that, it seems like it's kind of the same uh, same kind of amulet that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And what else would we expect, right? There's no reason for it to change after Luris is gone yet. Yeah. Um, on a previous episode of Dominaria's Judgment, Dominic Harvey basically said the, the appeal of Turn Timber Symbiosis is it's good in the Cultivator Colossus versions of this deck as a way to find Colossus. And also, if you grab an Azusa or a Dryad, then they come in with extra counters as well. So they become a little beefier because of that one, 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 three, one, one counter ability. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good. Yep. Good card. That's kind of been waiting for its day. This, the, so that was by Zenono. Congratulations on your five Oh. And then the next amulet Titan list was from spike. You, who is definitely someone who I 
recall playing against in the leagues at different points in time. And they put forward a, uh, you know, everybody, every deck goes through an Amulet Titan phase. <laughs> and this is a Yorian Amulet Titan build. You know, we've seen Creativity Titan. We've seen other Titan builds in the past. This one is Yorian's time has come to play with Amulet Titan. This list, I mean, it just looks like Amulet with extra cards to me, yeah. including... Uh, Wall of Blossoms. Yeah, Wall of Blossoms is in there. It's Ephemerate. got... Yep. It's got a Ephemerate Call. Yep. Four copies of Explore in addition to a copy of Expedition Map. And all the lands. Like, this is playing 41 lands. Literally yes. half the deck is lands. <laughs> yes. It's an incredible number of lands, for sure. My issue with this is much like every Yorian deck, and that's like you you pay for the potential strength with the potential weakness, where it's like ephemerating your Wall of Blossoms is not on the same power level as casting Primeval Titan. And sometimes the deck will feed you the option to ephemerate my Wall of Blossoms or do nothing. And that's not really where you want to be sometimes. So, I mean, Wall, Wall of Blossoms plus ephemerate is three cards. Yeah, because you, yeah, you get not, the first I'm saying, one. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but like drawing cards doesn't win you the game unless your Wall of Blossoms is blocking their only attacker. But what else are you even ephemerating except sometimes Primeval Titan? I mean, Cultivator Colossus, after you've emptied your hand, I suppose if you have some way to redo it, like mm-hmm. you don't, mm-hmm. you know, you don't brick, like that's a perfectly good thing. Like you help avoid removal. Like when, if Dryad's like, if Dryad's like your win con or Azusa's like your win con or something like that, where you're just like, I need to keep this thing on the board. And if someone points like a wear tear at my Dryad, I need to have the ability to ensure that I don't just lose now. So I think those are that's advantageous where ephemerate does play do- double duty uh, as we've seen that happen like in reanimator style strategies. Great answer, Shane. Yeah, I set you up without even trying to. I mean, yeah. you know me and Amulet Titan ephemerate decks. That's my wheelhouse. <laughs> that's your bread and butter. I, I was going to say I want to move on from this before we get angry letters from our Titan contingent <laughs> that for you know for once that don't say that let's say you've talked about my deck too much instead of you've talked about my deck not enough because it really exposes the fact that we don't know as much about innovation in titan as maybe we could i I mean i'm gonna write that angry angry letter what is titanscape dave it's called titan shift titan shift yeah sorry my bad (laughs) in my notes yeah it's called titan shift um yeah and this one you know we haven't talked about this deck in a while but it is interesting to see a red green build it has some interaction in the main that titan doesn't generally have you know amulet titan definitely doesn't have this one has lightning bolt and fury in the main and the whole idea here is you play wish from uh from the forgotten realms set to be able to go and get scape shift when you're ready to do it or go and get a different card to be able to pull something out of your sideboard for the situation that you're in i mean it's an interesting different take on the way that this this deck can work uh it doesn't feel as powerful as amulet still because i guess nothing really feels as powerful as amulet to me but um you know i've certainly scape shift has its moments where it's excellent in the meta yeah very soon after the ban went live um, a player who on Twitter goes by the name Odd Engineer went three one in a modern prelim with with this deck, and Will Pulliam had a hilarious tweet, which is just anytime a card has been banned in modern in the last two years, someone immediately plays with Titan Shift. <laughs> just feels so true. Yeah. All right. On from Titan. We're gonna keep this moving so that we kind of have make sure that we have time to talk about the Hunter Burton Memorial mid range Jund. 
So I was just going to have this be Jund, and then I decided to throw Rakdos midrange, the evolution of Rakdos midrange into here as well, since yeah, all fair. these decks were pretty yeah. affected by Luris going. So what we have here is we have uh, three different Jund decks. Let's start with those by Peep Apple, Smoke and Bacon 27, and Yurgo Knot. Now, the, the first one there is basically Jund Saga, where we added in for Liliana of the Veil as well to the list. Um, Shane? Someone yes. who thought that, someone who used to think they liked Jun, someone who used <laughs> to think fair. that they wanted to buy some Liliana of the Veils. Um, yep. What do you think about the deck just fully doing this? So it cut basically two Mishra's bobble from what I could tell to be able to to fit um, the Lilianas in here. I'm not sure what the other two cuts were. This is definitely very Jund. Like I think that this is one of the shells where Liliana makes the most sense because it is, has always synergized what this deck is trying to do. And I think it does it even more with Dragon's Rage Channeler, where you have more than just Tarmogoyf to sort of pump up and have value from filling the graveyard. Uh, and then we, of course, see the advantage that this deck has for having Unholy Heat over Lightning Bolt, which still sometimes feels really weird to me, where it's just like, man, we're really just not playing Lightning Bolt in these decks ever. Don't and need I the reach. Do need the I removal. I, yeah, I guess that's the thing. So, yeah, I think that this deck still makes sense, and I think it actually potentially makes more sense with Liliana of the Veil because as you do what this deck is trying to do, which is strip your opponent's hand early, remove what you need to with cards like Fatal Push and Unholy Heat and even Coligan's Command, and then take over the endgame, when you have a Liliana of the Veil on the board, you have a lot of removal spells mm -hmm. because you just minus her and and you edict them and effectively if you are able if if you haven't played modern in the past what two years and you've never faced down a liliana of the veil while you're starved of resources and top decking you're not in a good place yeah it closes the door for sure i shane i, I totally agree with pretty much everything you're saying about this two thousand dollar deck there was this big brain theme last week, which is like the card that's unbanned with Luris is Lily. And then there is like the one upsmanship, which is like, it's not Lily, it's Grist or other walkers. But I agree. Like, I think Lily is great here. And to your point about stripping your opponent's hand, that doesn't necessarily have to be all inquisitions and thought seasons, right? Like a turn one channeler or a turn one Ragavan, these cards demand answers. So if people are using all of their spells to just kind of like, trade with you removal for creatures or other resources being able to just like get them out of resources period sets up your Liliana to be like a really powerful finisher or just like this board presence that kind of can't be overcome. That's really is astute stand because I think formerly Jund it's one drops were spells. Bad. <laughs> just, well, it's just spells. Like you weren't yeah. really playing like legitimate one drop creatures. You were trying to set up your two drop creatures. Like, Ever since Deathrite Shaman anyway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I never <laughs> got to play into the Death, Deathrite Shaman uh, world. But now, like you're saying, Stan is like, what? We I have eight early creatures that rule and I have a two mana Planeswalker that can do a ton of work too. So I'm not just relying on uh, a few of my hand interaction, border interaction spells to then make my Liliana the Veil try to take over the game. You are doing threat after threat after threat, and then Liliana of the Veil can come in and, like Dave said, is sort of just like shut the door and say, uh, nothing that you top deck is really going to work here uh, unless it's extremely good. 
Yeah. The, the last thing I want to mention is that Liliana is a solid answer to Sanctify or Vec in a way that like Gris does not. And that's something that decks like these, where all of your interaction is black and red, they they can just lose to to Sanctifier sometimes. And and Lily helps deal with that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so the two John Boomer lists, why would I call them John Boomer versus not John Boomer? Here's a big difference for me, because <laughs> people are still playing around with what the composition composition of these decks are. These two quote unquote boomer lists run Bloodbraid Elf. And the mm-hmm. the other John one does not. They also do not run Death Right or Death. Dragon's Rage Channeler, different DR, <laughs> uh, and they don't run Bobble. So they have space for other things. They, you know, they run Grist and Liliana the Veil. You know, the one list that I'm looking at from Smoke and Bacon runs Endurance, Bone Crusher Giant, Season Pyromancer, and Bloodbraid Elf. There's a lot of kind of Jundy Jun Jun cards in here, but they don't have the the um, Dragon's Rage Channeler angle to their attack. So they're not as aggressive. They're bigger and they focus more on those two for ones, the traditional kind of Jun plan. And they yeah. don't have they don't have Saga either, is the other huge difference, of course, that I left out of there. These these ones do not run Saga. And like every Jun deck, Boomer Jun deck at least, they're inherently less consistent. And apparently by design. Where it's like you look at these decks and it's like two of, two of, two of, two of, three of, maybe a few four ofs, and it's like yeah, some days you're going to draw like that bone crusher giant that you need. And then some days you're going to draw out the thoughtsies that you have in that deck, right? And so there's just that inherent sort of hedge of Boomer Jund that the Jund Saga decks don't have to rely on as often. And I think that that is, in my opinion, what makes the Jund Saga decks better right now, especially. I was going to say the same thing. When I look at these lists right now, I would 100% rather be playing with Saga as opposed to not, you know, it's still is always a surprise to me that saga fits in these decks when there are so few colorless pips in, in any of these gem lists, but being able to search up essentially either pyrite spell bomb or shadow spear or a nihil bomb spell bomb, if you need it, or being able to make big creatures, not even big creatures. You're probably really just making three threes with, with this deck. It's still good enough. I think to be able to provide you some insurance against flood or bad draws, drawing interaction late, stuff like that. All right, let's go on to the final mid-range deck that we had here, which is what's going on with Rakdos mid-range. So Rakdos mid-range, one of my favorite decks in the Luris meta to play with. Um, And really, this deck, to me, also is extremely close to where it was before, except it has... A lot more three drops. It's got all the three drops. It's got Spyro. It's got Liliana the Veil. It's got Bonecrusher Giant. It's got Latest Darling of... Modern Hidegetsu consumes all in the sideboard. Yeah, the, the thing about Bone Crusher that I want to just mention in this deck and, and some of those previous Jun decks we listed is I'm pretty sure it's really replacing Unholy Heat here. Not, none of these decks run Unholy Heat, and even though Stomp, obviously not the same thing, it's a cheap removal that's going to answer opposing cheap creatures that can also then be a threat that does a little reach damage when it's targeted. Well, that's a great, another reason that I think that it's worth saying that the, the Saga package is has value outside of what you're searching up with Saga or what you're doing with artifacts. You get artifacts in your graveyard, you get an enchantment in your graveyard from Urza Saga, they all make Unholy Heat better. And so yeah. I think that, that you know, they can't, the boomer list can't run it, and I think that's another strike against those particular, that strategy as well, personally. Yeah, this, uh, this, yeah. this evolution of the deck is what... Now you're talking about Rakdos, con- right? Yeah, Rakdos. Yeah. This evolution is what makes me concerned for canceling my Liliana of the Vile Order. Because I was just, I had some buyer's remorse. I was like, look, 
I don't, this card's not going to go up $50. I'm not going to mm-hmm. like miss out on a lot. And I just was like, oh, when am I going to play this in paper? And now I'm just like, this is one of the decks I really am drawn towards this Rakdos mid-range list. And I think Lily on the Vial fits in it just in the same way that we talked about it in, in Jund. Whereas you have not quite as many one-drop threats. Like I think this this deck is eschewing DRC because we no longer have perhaps the room or the benefit from like the bobble uh, type package. But I mean, there is Lily, there is season power master. There is a lot of ways to be discarding cards. I'm, I mean, if a deck plays three Kroxa, it's relying on discarding cards and relying on being able to reanimate Kroxa at some point or escape it, excuse me. And so I'm mildly surprised that this deck doesn't run on Holy heat because this has three bolt instead. So it's like, does it really need the reach? Like it has a, pile of really good creatures i'm surprised that's really trying to i guess get that that reach from bolt uh, maybe it sort of sees like a break point where it's like three over two early on is really important right now i'm i'm curious what that mix will look like in the the non-lurus metagame yeah all right let's keep going we are talking a lot about these decks they're great decks but we have a lot to get through here there were 74 decks in this drop so um <laughs> Let's go, go, go. We probably have about 40 minutes left before we got to get over yeah, to the Hunter Burton for do what it. it's worth. All right, next bucket, burn. Two burn decks in this one. One is Cooper the Red. It's burn without Luris, basically. That's what it is. So it's burn. Uh, you can run Sanctifier in, in the deck, maybe. I think it probably was running Sanctifier before, but now you can run it without ever hurting yourself by losing your own red cards that you were going to recur with Luris. Um, second, though, M. Hayashi had a list that was essentially <laughs> burned, need to say. which was pretty interesting. Um, running reinforced Ronin over Goblin Guide, running four main deck Roiling Vortex, running, let's see, what else did I note here? That was pretty much it, I think. But I, the, it was a pretty interesting list. They had It has Firebolt. It has, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a wild it, it's, thing. It's just, you know, it's, it's a Hayashi pile. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's a it's an aggressive one because guess guess who's later in the rogues area with another mono red list? It's uh, it's M Hayashi as well. Um, I think burn pretty good right now. Still the same, right? Still good. Yeah, I, I I would even think that this was a good week to play burn if everyone's experimenting and now you have just this very efficient, hyper aggressive deck that was probably even farming some tickets in the in the first couple of days post lures. Yeah, just just burn them out. All right, let's go on another red aggressive deck. What I would call Jeskai Red Prowess is basically splashing uh, expressive iteration and prismatic ending. But other than that, it's your really aggressive Red Prowess list with your creature package that is Dragon's Rage Channeler, Monastery Twister, Ragavan, Soulscar Mage, and one Reinforced Ronin as well. This deck is running expressive iteration and Light of the Stage, which is something I don't think we ever see together. So one thing to note is that lately Prowess had been running Light of the Stage and uh, Reckless Impulse in the same deck. And so I wonder if this person was like, Hey, we were doing some really grindy decks that draw a lot of cards, uh, versions of prowess. Let's try that with the blue instead, where I think expression, expressive iteration is a, an objectively better card than, uh, than reckless impulse. And so, uh, even though the mana cost is more restrictive, I think they're probably just going for it. This deck also had some other wild one ofs. It had a one of mutagenic growth. It had a one under one of underworld breach, and it had a single experimental frenzy. Those last two enchantments to me were kind of interesting because they're sort of card advantage engines in the way that Luris could be a card advantage engine for this deck for sort of cheap, right? Like being able to underworld breach to bring back a bunch of burn or something is not 
feels like it might be tough in this deck because you generally are kind of mana constricted in this deck, but still only costs two mana to do it, and then you just kind of go, go, go. So I, I think that there's something interesting there, although I wouldn't expect it to see it again. I think it's just an interesting plan someone was playing around with. That was uh, This deck was put together by Sight Winner. Yeah. This Frenzy is so unexpected for me because it's four mana, and this deck yeah. runs 18 lands. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess I think this it's is just how here. you get over the hump. If if maybe your burn plan was thwarted somehow, and then you just need to actually win with card advantage. I feel like it's sort of inspired by uh, Hammer running Reality Chip, where it's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah you know, I am, I'm also a deck where I could play a bunch of one drops pretty easily if I get to that point in the game. So I don't and, know. And you know what I would say to that, Dave? Just play Reality Chip. You can play <laughs> in this deck. Yeah, you play it on turn two. You equip it on turn three, and you got a stew going. Yeah. Anyway, Just don't I love, equip it to reinforced Ronin. That that seems bad. That does seem bad. You know, I love prowess. I I don't think this is where I would go next, but let's keep it going. I've been playing regular red prowess in leagues lately and not doing any remarkable in any any way at all at this time. So I I don't think it's worth dwelling on more than that at the moment. Hell yeah. Um. Yeah. That's me. Not doing remarkably. Nice. Uh, next bucket control decks. Boy, there were a lot of control decks in this particular drop. We had a. Bant Blink deck and an Azorius Blink deck, both piloted by Lexmart to two different 5-0s. We can come back to those in a minute, but they're kind of like very top-end, very big mana cost, more simplified four-color Yorian decks, basically. They just took colors out and made it more simple. Uh, we had Azorius Control by Mason Boy. It has two Veil on the sideboard, so it's sort of a splash of green, but not really anything. We had a Jeskai Control deck, which was Blue-White Control with Narsets, with Narset Parter of Veils and Days Undoing as well in this one Sweet. and then uh it had the only reason it was just is because it had fire and ice it didn't even have lightning bolt or anything like that and then the final one was is it control which was essentially blue blue moon with some murktide in it yeah yeah so and and it was definitely more of a control list than you know is it murktide is which get no one drops or anything like that what do you all think about uh, let's just kind of try to go over this as fast as we can what what do you all think about control in in generally right now is there anything that was interesting to you about these particular lists that you want to talk about shane you're our president <laughs> blue mage <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i've got nothing on these all right yeah. I, l l let me let me help out so one of the things that i find really cool is that narset days undoing seeing play in modern narset days undoing is a popular and viable combo in legacy control what? and <laughs> it is yeah Huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just makes me wonder if there being fewer thought seasons this week, potentially, was something that can open the door for this type of strategy, especially now that this combo has more free ways to protect itself. N not just, um, you know, not just Force of Negation, but with Teferi Time Reveler, Solitude. So I, I feel like whether or not this is the future, I don't know, but it's kind of like a very decisive way to close out a game in the control shell, even if you don't win on the spot, your opponent is pretty much locked out at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think one big thing here is, you know, um, Watu had, uh, Guillaume Wafotapa was, had been doing well this week with some blue white control. So I think that there's a lot of people who are inspired by that and also picking up that list to be able to go forward. And then I think that 
some of this again is, you know, these are some blink decks, some Yorian decks that I felt like were so controlly that they could not stay in the four color blink deck. And so that's some of this going on is the blink decks getting bigger and more controlly from there. And then I think other people trying to figure out how best to, you know, do a game breaking combo, like you said, which may not be, may or may not be good, but Narset, Days Undoing, stuff like that kind of weirdness as a, as a, cl to close the door using their control list. Uh, but there's a lot of control going on right now. So I think it's worth keeping an eye on to see where that evolves to. The last thing I'll point out with some of these decks is that uh, three different decks in this league were running summary dismissal in the sideboard, hmm. which, which is two blue, blue instant, exile all other spells and counter all abilities. And there's probably a really obvious explanation for why people are playing it. And I have no idea. Well, it stops, um, it stops cascade for one thing. So you, but you right. don't need a four four mana spell to do that. I guess you don't. Well, yeah, that's true. You, you don't. You can just storm. You, yeah, you do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. All right, let's go on. Couple of oops, no real lands decks. Uh, we had Spider Space on a stock build of Belcher, um, and also Misha's Bobble on Oops All Spells. Both of these decks are kind of what we what we saw before. I expect both of them to continue to be various levels of popular. Belcher is still probably the top of the top of the heap as far as those kind of decks go cascade decks there was a crashing footfalls and a living end deck i think given the number of living end decks that were at hunter burton and the number that made it into the day two of that i noticed in your notes shane a little foreshadowing there um obviously these are probably not the only ones of these decks that made it that got five o's in that time period again these deck lists are so stable that i think that they're just not you know, they're not being listed separately at this point in time, but still both very good decks, Crashing Football and Living End. Stan, do you have any thoughts about Crashing Football right now? It's not any different than it was before Loris was around, is it really? No, not really. Like it may have picked up a channel land or two because it can play the, it can play Buseju, which is a really great way to answer Chalice. Um, and then if like you want a little extra protection, you can play the blue one too to like get a blocker out of the way. Yeah. All right. Next bucket creativity decks we have a blue red creativity deck which i thought was pretty interesting more kind of grixis because it can cast uh archon then a four color indomitable creativity deck no black in this one usually people have been tending towards archon lists this one is one that has uh sarah's emissary and emrakul and then so those were piloted by lab monkey and mikan 33 and then finally we had friend of the show lawson zandy in a somewhat triumphant return to modern 5-0 with a creativity plus reanimator build that I thought was interesting. We're putting we're kind of putting both of those together into one shell to get Archons into play. This deck's interesting because like I wouldn't think to bring four mana walkers into a reanimator deck, but like I'm also not Lawson. But like it's sort of when I look at it more closely, it's not really a reanimator strategy, like the kind that I was trying to mess with for a while. It's really the creativity deck with some reanimator spells. Yeah. That that's kind of how I saw it too. And I think the thing that's cool about what that does is it lets you get back your Archon if your Archon dies, which is something that it has been quite <laughs> quite frequently in uh, when you're playing Creativity, that's for sure. You know what um, Holy I'll, Heat uh, gets to? <laughs> yeah. Archon's power. And exactly. Rather. So it's still kind of like a control-y version of Reanimator because it has Ren and Six to Fairy Chime Raveler and Jace in there as like a full Planeswalker suite but um, has this kind of weird other angle where you get to bring things back. I mean, I thought this was a cool cool list. I, th I mean, creativity has definitely been on the upswing 
a lot with people lately. I mean, you see these ones that are simple builds, like the blue-red one that Lab Monkey did, which is, you know, there's no Planeswalkers in their build. It's just blue-red spells and Archon. It's much more all-in on the combo and kind of control and almost like a blue moon kind of way. Like, it's just kind of spells control. And then the four-color creativity is just kind of deciding what payoffs they want in, in the deck. Um, but that's the shell that I've been playing around with as well, other than Prowess lately. Great. Creativity on the way up still. We'll see if it gets higher. Okay, can next I talk about this things. next one? Can I talk about this next one? Sure. So we Done. have the next bucket we have is Dredge, piloted by Dr. Pepper. I mean, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Brian, Dr. Brian Dr. Pepper. Brian Pepper, I'm sorry to say. Um, you know, his father is Dr. Pepper. He's Dr. Brian Pepper. Um, I, well, I always wondered what Dr. Pepper's first name was. <laughs> so this is Dredge. And it's like, it's Dredge Dredge. And uh, it's somewhat greedy. Like, it's this version of Dredge is basically like Jeskai Dredge that splashes for black to be able to sort of hard cast Golgari Thugs and Silver Smoke Ghouls and whatnot if you absolutely have to. And Dark Blast, of course, from is one of your, your Dredge spells. Uh, and so the mana base has six Rainbow Lands and then a number of sort of fetches and a few shocks and to be able to cast these variety of spells. The thing that I find perhaps the, I mean, so like the main deck spells are to enable dredge or otherworldly gaze, cathartic reunion and thrilling discovery. And then you of course have your uh, suite of dredgers and silver smoke ghoul and creeping chill to just keep refilling the board and attacking. My, issue with this deck is that the <laughs> the mana is still really greedy to do anything especially cast the nature's claim out of the sideboard as this deck has no green shock land so you are just effectively relying on getting one of your six rainbow lands to cast that nature's claim early which is when basically you want to mull to a nature's claim and have a way to cast it in your opener uh in some of your matchups so pretty loose you do have three gemstone caverns in the side. In the side, yeah. So you you do up the percentage of hitting it. It's still not a very reliable percentage, even at nine. Like if you do a nature's claim plus gemstone caverns, it's not where exactly where I want to be. Uh, but it is definitely better than six. Yeah. However, this deck probably hasn't changed too much in post Luris Modern, correct? Yeah, like let's, let's talk about build. let's talk about the main deck. I mean, mana mana worries aside, because I always have those with dredge. This is just dredge. Like it, it's no longer a life from the loam recursion engine, huge conflagrate at the end of the turn style deck for whatever reason. I think because it kind of has to issue relying on green and relying on being able to cast life from the loam. Uh, because if you remember our, our really old dredge episodes, you wanted to have the ability to cast green spells in your opener. And if you can't really do that, you have to have blue, red, and white. You can't really do that. So anyway, this is something I should be trying again. I really should be uh, checking out Dredge once again, I think. These gaze versions especially. Yep. And then the last two decks that we had in the current, what I would say is the current mainstream would be Yawgmoth, which I think is pretty much still the same and also still putting up similar results to what it was before, right? Yeah. This looks like the version we tested. And then finally, Mill. And the funny thing about Mill piloted by Plato 1011 is that this is the only deck in the dump that had Luris in it in the sideboard <laughs> still i think that they must have finished their league after the ban because they weren't kicked you know you don't get kicked out of the leagues uh when you do that and so they finished later and Luris was still there but 
we think that Mill functions fine without Luris. It was just kind of something they got to do, not something that they had to do. Okay, so moving on from there to what we would call the past metagame. So these are these are old decks that people are trying again, or decks with new spins that are similar to older decks that used to be extremely popular at the top of the metagame. I think the number one deck that we want to talk about in this bucket this week would be Hardened Scales, right? Especially after last week where there was a challenge, I believe, that had uh, finals that was a Hardened Scales mirror match. What do we think about Hardened Scales right now, thanks to Patchwork Automaton mostly? So the pi- people who piloted the Selesnia Hardened Scales deck that we had to talk about is Hunt 3-2. Looks like Scales. Still scaling after all these years. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that Scales has been a powerful force in the paper events albeit right now they're still fewer and far between but like we saw it in NRG, we saw it in vegas i'm i'm sure there's other examples that i'm forgetting about like hardened scales has been like top aiding the in-person events much more frequently than the online events and i wonder if that's because scales has a hard time against some of the hate that people are bringing in against hammer online and yeah. hammer may, maybe being such a powerful force maybe maybe that's a tough mirror ish match i i don't really know that i'm totally just kind of shooting from the hip but yeah I, I feel like this is a deck that people are generally overlook because it doesn't get the representation online that it does elsewhere and maybe for that reason like it's a great one to pick up to surprise your opponents yeah like i said it had a week last week where it was really good people seem to pick it up after death shadow i think that because uh, now which is a little bit surprising to me because death shadow can run colgan's command which is often a two for one against this deck and kill two creatures in play but you have that resiliency with ozolith and moving counters around and all kinds of different things and patchwork automaton i think makes a big threat pretty fast that has that ward two onboard ward two ability that makes it resilient to removal and so you probably get a couple swings in uh there was another hardened scales deck by uh that was gruel from mtg bulent mtg bulent and that deck had pretty much all, all colorless things other than hardened scales but it had a three of rabbit battery which is an, an awesome card you know that's the uh, equipment the reconfigure from uh neon dynasty that it gives plus one plus one and haste and costs one to put into play and one to equip or reconfigure so these are pretty interesting lists as well i i still think that hardened scales is probably on the way up generally so i would try to keep an eye on on this deck especially after what it did online a couple weeks ago the next thing that i think fits into stan's hot artifact summer that he was predicting on the last episode (laughs) would be a bunch of different urza thopter affinity builds that showed up in this particular dump we had uh an urza thopter uh deck by danid pf we had another one by mid-determinist we had a Urza 8-cast eight 8-drum eight build similar to the deck that I tested on our Artifact episode about a month ago by USAZ. And then we had a good old affinity kind of like ch- chunky aggro list that plays all the seven drops like Mirror Enforcer and Sojourner's Companion by Tezzy. This was also a an 8-cast deck. Or it's not an 8-cast. I think it had, it has only four casts in this one, but it's a big, it's a big list. What do you think about these artifact decks? Still like them? Still interested? Urza seems like a card that has been slumbering for a while that I've been expecting to make a comeback, and maybe this is the time. Wouldn't surprise me. I think these these last two decks, the Usazi and the Tezzi decks, are really scary Nettlesis decks just because of the sheer volume of artifacts they have that makes it possible not only to like 
make your germ huge, but then whatever you attach the analysis to is going to be pretty huge too. Yeah. And they make huge Urza Saga tokens as well, which I think is part of the whole thing there too. Um, the Thopter combo decks are really interesting because it's sort of a different way to go with that artifact shell where you can you know, value someone out with attacking with big tokens. You can kind of play the Urza plan where you're sort of like mid-ranging it, or you can use Stoneforge Mystic in either one of these, I believe, to go grab your, your sort of meek. It doesn't grab Thopter Foundry, but it does help you be able to go get Sword if you need Sword and kind of go from there to make, the, uh, make your combo happen. So it's interesting to have sort of a mid-range deck with a combo finish, essentially. T- totally. I mean, this almost looks like Stoneblade Control, but the artifact version of that deck. Right. Which I think is neat. Like, it also has Teferi and, you know, Metallic Rebukes as actual protection and disruption spells. So, I, I, I like, I almost like this in, as, as a version of Splinter Twin, where you're, like, playing a proactive control strategy that you even tap out a lot, but then you will have, like, the Splinter Twin finish with the Thopter combo. Yep. Or you can just beat down with the Culture Complete if you can get a Stoneforge down on two and, like, ask your opponent to answer that, basically. Next bucket of decks that seem to be trying to fight their way back from the old metagame would be creature combo decks, I would say. So the first ones here are devoted combo decks, devoted druid. One is Artem Kutin, and the other one is Dream Puffs. Um, <laughs> interesting to see these two. I mean, they're very, you know, they're very close. They're they're just kind of like devoted druid from what we were, were seeing before, you know, basically two years ago. Yeah, they got a, one of Solitude, one of Endurance, and the... Artem Kutin deck, Boseju as well. But I do think that Heliod is something that also appeared online a couple of weeks ago in that challenge when suddenly Hardened Scales was back. Now we have Heliod poking its head back as well. I still am kind of down on this deck a little bit because of Prismatic ending, but I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't really think there's a good reason for this to come back right now. Do you? No, I think people. I mean, I think that Heliod is a kind of deck that just sort of pops up now and then. It's definitely the kind of deck I don't want to play into something like uh, a four-color blank, a Fury style, a you know, a Solitude style metagame. So I don't know. But but this is my point. Like no one is safe from those decks. Yeah, but this, I mean, this, the no no deck relying on creature combos to win besides decks like these. That, that's the thing. But, yeah. But but all the decks. For the most part, like with the exception of like certain combo strategies, which has not been the majority of the decks we've discussed, like are winning through combat. Like it's well, just this this deck has a bunch of X ones that need to survive. So like you have to have your Arbor Elf survive. You have to have your Conclave. You know your uh, your excuse me. Like base basically your Spike Feeders. You're just a number of like random little creatures that need to keep living in both Devoted Druid and in Heliod combo decks. But, but what's the difference between that and hammer? Where hammer is just like a bunch of well, zero mana. If, like if you if you, if you get a, if you get a colossus hammer on it, it is now free from being tagged by fury. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it still gets solituded. I think the big difference there is speed too. I mean, hammer sure. can go pretty can go pretty fast. I mean, so can so can heliod. The other big thing about heliod in particular, though, is just if you get heliod down and heliod gets exiled or prismatic ending, you're you're done mostly, unless you can put together some kind of bad attack plan. And decks are now running March of Otherworldly Light and Prismatic Ending, so there's even more main deck hate against 
against you know that exiles an enchantment randomly which is what prismatic ending and march of otherworldly light do march march can do it if they have to you know if they get up their back against the wall they can discard two cards out of their hand to do it for for one mana basically so i i think there's a pretty big difference there personally i i just think that you're maybe overstating like cards index not being viable because of removal when really all i just think like all removal is good and it's like yeah. your creatures have to survive to win period and it's like if you can just combo off at instant speed that's almost as good as being able to fetch up a hammer i mean one thing that i think is pretty interesting and that hammers played around with is if you look at this devoted druid combo deck that dream dream puffs has they're playing four to fairy time raveler in the in the yeah main that's, deck. And that's so, been a thing and so what they're trying to do is make them use their removal onto fairy or drop it so that on the next turn they get to try to combo off uh under instant speed protection basically and i think that that's you know a possibility as well this deck also has post-mortem lunge which helps against removal yes. too where you can you know if they kill your your druid then you bring it back with lunge maybe you have to ferry out then and so you have this kind of protection web set up that i don't think that heliod quite has as much access to generally than, than this one does i still also think that this deck though is a major it's a major bummer to get hit by fury with this deck kind of no matter where you're at but you know not everybody runs fury just lots of people yeah, I mean, it's not it's not just Fury, and it's not just the fact that, sure, you have to fight the removal. It's that the majority of your creatures in Heliod suck. The majority of your creatures in Devoted Druid suck. Like, what you're, where you're, you're putting together, like, a kit of parts of, like, crappy things to make, like, the ultimate hot rod that flies to Saturn all at once, right? Whereas, like, the reason that we keep talking about decks like uh, Grixis Death Shadow is that they're just a pile of really good cards, and while that same issue, like you you leveled against Hammer, I think is valid, but Hammer has the ability, one, to win kind of pretty quickly, like Dave said, and then also once you do get a piece of equipment on something, then I, I think it does more than having a board of a few creatures, unless you're comboing off. But let's keep going. So the last deck that kind of showed up in this devoted, in this creature combo uh, bucket is Goblins. Actually, so there was a Goblins deck that 5-0'd this week. Again, I feel like, similarly, removal is pretty rough for these kind of decks right now. Uh, if you're really relying on being able to combo off, you know, Goblins isn't always going to be able to, to do much once you lose your combo piece. Uh, next bucket, People Try and Prowess. All right, so there was Dead Eye Enemy with Blue-Red Prowess, a 5-0 with a Blue-Red Prowess deck that has no monkey and has Storm-Winged en Entity right there in the main deck. Whoa. Time Machine deck. Yeah, a kind of a Time Machine deck. I mean, I do think that if people are starting to back off of Unholy Heat in some decks, then maybe we're going here. But I still really feel like Is It Murktide is sort of the better version of the core of these cards, no matter what you, what you do, because, you know... Um, even if they have Unholy Heat, they go for it. I mean, obviously, they're very different decks, but if you like to play a spells deck that has an aggressive plan, I would be trying to learn how to play Murktide good rather than trying to bring Prowess back from the brink. For me, Storm Stormwing was good against Lightning Bolt, and Lightning Bolt isn't good anymore, so there you go. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> um, the other deck that is in here was Jeskai Niv-Magus Elemental Prowess. Oh my gosh, from Oh, it's more than that, Shane. It also has your favorite cards like Clever Lumamancer and oh, the, the Lion that has Magecraft as well that I forget the name of it. Leonin Spellcaster, I knew this was a viable it. deck. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, I never <laughs> thought that the Niv Magus deck was viable, but I did want Clever Lumimancer to be good, and that that didn't turn out to be. This has the ground ground rift storm. This is just that really fragile prowess yeah. deck that people tried. I think this is like speed, speed, speed. All the free spells. Yeah. You know, we're going to try to sneak through a league, and maybe these people did. I'm I don't particularly love these versions for prowess going forward either. I would still be looking towards mono red to do stuff or mono or red white with um with prismatic ending and that kind of stuff. This is this is like the deck I build on Magic Arena, so I can play like a thousand games at like a fifty two percent win rate and like just sort of slowly climb the ladder or do my dailies. Yep, yep. All right, mid range. There were a couple of mid range decks here that I thought were interesting. Uh, grouped them together. They're not particularly similar decks, but one was Gruel Midrange or Ponza from Etsino. It's Ponza. It's got Chandra 4. It's got Blood Raid Elf. Stan, was it cool to see Ponza right now, or what do you think? Sure. I mean, no Blood Moons. This is a Mages deck, which I think is pretty smart in a Boseju era. This is running Boseju, though, with Renan 6. Which, you know, there's that tension between that and the Mages of the Moon, but maybe there's value in just being able to, like, Boseju every single turn and you just get them down to basics. Um, and then maybe, like, pillage them once or twice. Maybe you can even live the dream, get a Renan Six Emblem, and then just pillage them every turn with your extra lands. But yeah, I don't know. This is cool. It, it, this is not the Tarmogoyf version of Ponza that we were seeing in the Lurus era. Though it is playing Arbor Elf and Ragavan as like your two ram sources in addition to Utopia Sprawl. The other mid-range deck that was here, Niv to Light. I don't think that Luris going out of the metagame really suddenly makes Niv to Light have a reason to appear. But um, you know, I I'm not sure if someone thought that this is like a slightly bigger mid-range deck that's good against Blink, or you know, it also has Yorian in it, I think, if I remember right. I'm looking really quickly. Does it? Yes, it does. So it's a Yorian, it's a it's a Niv Yorian deck. So in some ways, maybe it's a different just take on that version too. But um, I mean, know. it's got like Bring to Light for Valky slash right. Tybalt in here as well. Which one of the four color Blink decks that we talked about also had as well. The um, the DP Martinez one had Bring to Light into Valky. It just didn't have Niv Mizzet reborn. So this is sort of another connected cousin of a four color Blink in some ways, but. Not necessarily something I would keep an eye on. Canister got a 5-0 with Elementals as well with Yorian too. You know, I'm so along. happy to see him to see him doing great finally. <laughs> you know, we've really been we've been this, hoping for a while. I just want to know like what made him go back. Just like hey, uh, like chat on his Twitch team was just like play Elementals. He was like fine, and just like oh, casual 5-0. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he has been playing four color Blink for a long time. Too. And so, you know, had done really well with it. It's not like, you know, a lot of similar cards are in the two decks. And so it's just kind of going back to that full uh, elemental tribal, maybe just to try it out and see what happens. But um, yeah, got a 5 0 with it. Next up, Shane Stuff. Bant Humans and four color Yorian Saga Humans. So a Bant Humans list from Rangusu. No black or red cards. I uh, had Vile and Coco. It, other than that, it sort of imagines what you think humans would look like if it was only Bant. Imagine humans. You know what's wild, though, is like it only has eight Rainbow Lands. It only has four Secluded Courtyard and four Cavern. I don't really know why it wants to keep access to like more spellcasting lands. Maybe it just really doesn't want to have like 
what's the one that only casts creature spells so that it can keep mana open for a collected company or something like that, or some sideboard cards perhaps, but most of those are creatures as well. So I don't know. I mean, this is like, I had just have a really hard time imagining this deck existing in 2022 modern, but here we are like, this just feels like a, an arena deck to me, but you know, reflector mage, unsettled mariner, meddling mage, they do work. Yep. And then how about this deck that does work? It's five color humans, but with Yorian and 46 creatures. Uh, it's got Aether Vial, 28 lands, and it's just, I mean, it's got Solitude in it. It's got Imperial Recruiter in it. It's got Esper Sentinel, Champion of the Parish, Noble Hierarch. It's chock full of interesting things for sure. I mean, I you know, you can do a fun thing with Yorian where you blink you know Falia's lieutenant and make stuff bigger but you know you can blink a couple of reflector mages and make your opponents pick their creatures up again yeah, so there is stuff to meddling do. mage to rename i mean there's stuff to do but it's just like you know we i think what stan has mentioned in past episodes and i agree with is you the pay the, the price you pay for yorian is consistency and in a deck like this where you're like i really need a deputy detention or i really need a reflector mage or i just really want my solitude or a meddling mage it's like you're just getting those less frequently and sure like the blink shenanigans are a lot of fun and with all due respect to Tihan, i'm sure this deck is fun and if you you know if everything winds up great then it's super cool but like then half the time it's just like uh, i okay i got my my turok when i really wanted to my imperial recruiter and i wish i didn't have 80 cards right now yeah and then uh, within this space which i am sort of calling human slash taxes slash thalia slash vile decks we have a Death and Taxes build, an 80-card Yorian Death and Taxes build. It's by Anna Disciple. I should mention that the five-color uh, Yorian Saga list, which is a wild, wild deck, was piloted by Taiyuan. There's an Anna, Anna Disciple was tire, uh, piloting this Death and Taxes. Like I said, 80-card Taxes, Stoneforge Mage, Flicker Wisp, all the old stuff you would expect. And then an Azorius Spirits list that was also an 80-card Yorian list. So this is just more kind of like yorian plus small creature small disruptive creatures package guys i'm realizing that maybe the biggest thing that happened within this new meta that doesn't have luris anymore where everybody thought yorian is going to be good is people just jammed yorian into a bunch <laughs> yeah, of different it's like, decks it's like, it's like yorian was unbanned and we're like let's see if we can just put yorian in mono red burn yeah yeah, maybe maybe that is what people are doing. It's like, what else can we do with Yorian now that we can't do these other things anymore with with Luris? And so, Spirits is good, right? And those are fun and blinky. And maybe you can like spell queller some stuff and then spell queller it again, but give them the other spells back. I don't know. That doesn't sound great. But um, yeah, it seems like Yorian is just being jammed into a lot of decks in this particular drop. Okay, something we've been wanting to talk about that I debated putting in the current mainstream or the past mainstream. Two decks that I know are near and dear to your hearts, Mono Green Tron and Eldrazi Tron. Oh, I should mention Azoria Spirits was piloted by D-Star. Okay, Mono Green Tron and Eldrazi Tron by Insomnique, and Jacob is boss. Thoughts about Tron? It was kind of a hype deck coming into this first week here, thinking that Big Mana might make a comeback. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if Tron is a specifically good answer to Yorian, just being like kind of a, a slower... Yorian decks being like typically slower, low clunkier, having a harder time finding like surgical hate pieces, which is something that you frequently need against Tron unless you're playing super aggressive and proactive. And I think this is kind of the way you you punish that, especially if 
the mid-range decks that aren't playing Yorion, like the gen strategies are are getting slower and just like going for lilies and, and blood bright elves instead of like trying to be as aggressive as possible too. So I think Tron is an up arrow, but like I, I don't I, Tron is always there. Like if you look at the Tron, like Tron is always in top 32s. It is always in every league. And I think that we are just going to continue to see Tron show up and be a presence. And I think that what I'm really curious about is how we see it in the challenges when, and like when Stan's um, March meta game breakdown, like, are we going to have more Tron show up percentage wise in our, in our challenge results? How about Eldrazi Tron? Same. It's always there. Yeah. It's just always there. It's just always there. Like it's, and uh, it's, it's always there in the uh, Hunter Burton scenario too we'll talk about in a little bit hopefully we've got it we still can okay. burn through some decks we keep we keep we'll hinting at this and I'm, I'm sure we're gonna get to two hours and be like we'll talk about that later no we're gonna get there because the next the last couple of decks we have in the past metagame are adnaz don't have much to say about adnaz right now it's here people are always trying to get that combo to come back maybe it will someday i don't think there's a particular up arrow next to it right now I mean, in the immediate post-GDS world, I can see Adnaz like having a, a, a door to sneak in through because you're not fighting against a, a deck that's running Thoughtseize and Drown in the Lock. And I think like those two cards in tandem are pretty hard for Adnaz to beat. Yep, yep. And then also the last list here. Oh, so Adnaz was piloted by Salami. Like a good, a good one, um, and then one animator, of my favorite meets. Yeah, exactly. Reanimator is the last one in our past meta game, past mainstream list by Hectores. It's a black white build. It's pretty interesting. It's a black white build of Reanimator with Saga for Underworld Cookbook, and so you can use that to search up Underworld Cookbook. It's got Asmumar, our friend Decay Day, mm-hmm. and then also playing <laughs> March March of uh, of. The, Whatever the march is, the white march, otherworldly light as their all-purpose removal spell in here. I, I mean, I think it's a pretty interesting update to the reanimator list that we saw people trying earlier. It's not Esper. It's not trying to do any of that kind of stuff. But it does have Archon of Cruelty, One Sarah's Emissary. It has Oval Chase Daredevil to be able to do that whole loop and kind of go from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is brilliant and maybe, for my money, like the most interesting innovation we've seen in the deck dump. By combining Asmo and... You know, the un- unmarked burial rights thing. Like, I, I kind of see it as, like, solving two decks different problems by kind of merging them together. Whereas, like, Asmo would be really good against, like, strategies that were really creature-dependent. Whereas, like, you know, you can use Asmo to just, like, pick off creatures on the board. And then sometimes you may have a hard time closing. Now that you have this, like, super powerful late game where it's just, like, land a Sarah's Emissary or Archon of Cruelty and... You don't have to worry about anyone running you over in the meantime. You can use Thought Seizes or March to like provide a little extra protection for yourself. And then you've got like these big finishers that are just so nearly impossible to answer on their own that uh, will close out the game too. So I, I think, I mean, I'm prepared to be wrong, but I actually think this deck has a big up arrow next to it. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I like that call because now we're going to go on to the rogues. And I got to say, I don't think there's too much super interesting stuff going on in the rogues. I do feel a little bad that the first rogue thing here is a deck that's been well-established for a long time, especially online, which is Mono Blue Tron, which appears only online, doesn't seem to appear very often in the challenges, doesn't seem to appear very often in paper. There's three different pilots of Mono Blue Trons to Fivos in this list. Cuddle Bunnies, Diotima, and Magic Devil 666. This is a, That's a real roller coaster Ooh. of a group of names there. 
And um, <laughs> there's some weird stuff going on here. Cuddle Bunny's list has Circuit Mender, which is like a card he's, that I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why he's running so this. are so weird. Yeah, like, like this, this, I don't know the Cuddle Bunny has you. two Elder Deep Fiend, my friend. Like yeah, a two I think of. that's cooler. Like that makes like, more sense than than Circuit Mender to me, but I mean, it makes more sense. But still, it's just like you. I mean, with all due respect to Cuddle Bunnies, you five owed with this. Like this is some wild stuff. They're all wild. So so Cuddle Bunnies was kind of like a a bit more aggressive version, right? And then as far as aggressive as Mono Blue Tron can be, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have a really controlly one that's all in on Karn, the great creator from Diatima. You know, it's got four Karn, the great creator. The Cuddle Bonies list only had two. There's more big cards to cast. And then the last one is this one that's kind of even more all on Karn, but also has lots of weird counterspells and bounce spells like Nimble Obstructionist and Repeal and Divide by Zero. It's got four Gutshot main. It's got Gigantha. Um, you know, <laughs> it's trying to get mascot exhibition with divide by zero, which I guess is like, okay, so you can play it for seven on turn three to be able to, to, you know, do a bunch of, you know, make a bunch of mascots and have a bunch of creatures. Yeah. I know, mean, that's cool. There's stuff. There is stuff going on in there's mono blue Tron land. So, so nimble has always been a mono blue Tron card, just, right? Just for the record. Right. Like that, that's a weird staple. Everything else is not. Yeah. Like gut shot, divide by zero, certainly not. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get through the rest of these in about five minutes, but I will say tune into Cuddle Bunnies, Diotima, Magic Devils, 666. It's Mono Blue Tron podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> the combo junk drawer is next. And I'm going to skip a bunch of these, although I'm going to list off what they were. I think the one we do have to talk about, though, is the Tameshi. Yeah. I'm going to put that one last. So we have a Wilderness Reclamation deck, which is basically a teamer list with Ren and Six. That's by Bastin. We have a Grinding Station list by Norrell Grande, which is, you know, coming back suddenly, maybe better because Emery is now kind of been unbanned as part of this whole No Luris thing. Two different Glimpse combo lists that, you know, I don't know a ton about, but it's definitely a deck that kind of seems to be right on the edge of kind of breaking through. I know that Jason from our Discord plays a lot of Glimpse and has done really well with it at different points in time. And then we had two different Sahili combo lists as well. So Glimpse combo by Stockfish, Glimpse combo by da- Daniel Stallone, Canny MTG and Luiso 1983 on Sahili combo. There's some lot of different stuff going on in these. You know, the Sahili ones are very close to being kind of like four-color blink decks with uh, the Sahili combo just kind of in there as well. It's, they're like, one of them is the Omnath list, the other one's kind of like a Just Guy Good Cards list. Yep. Uh, but I think the deck we do need to talk about for a minute is this Tamishi combo deck by Davis Minimus that came either from Faithless Brewing or is heavily advanced by them. I don't even really know how this works. <laughs> so I, I looked at, they have an article on their faithlessbrewing.com from late February, I believe. And essentially it's uh, Tameshi Lotus Bloom. And so Tameshi allows you to pick up a land to return Lotus Bloom from your graveyard, which you can then sacrifice for an immediate three mana. And you can do this until you essentially run out of lands to pick up. And then if you do something like cast Cultivator Colossus, you return all those lands to play, and they're tapped, but Tameshi doesn't care that they're tapped, and you're drawing a zillion cards. And so you can just do it all over again. 
Uh, what I'm curious about is the m many multitude of ways to get this into your graveyard, if that's what you're trying to do. Like, I guess you can just resolve a Lotus Bloom and then use it and then kind of just go again with uh, with it using Temeshi. So I think there's there's a lot more to this. Like, there's just a lot of different combos uh, outside of modern, especially with some uh, artifacts and legacy and vintage power level cards. But I think there's a lot of stuff to do in modern as well. And so check out faithlessbrewing.com. Goblin engineer is how you put it into your graveyard. Yeah, that, that's that's the main way. But there's only four of those, of course, right? So um, that's that's the primary way to do it. Use the engineer or you can resolve it and then you re reuse it. And so maybe that's enough. Yeah, in theory, this is a turn three combo. If like if you have the Lotus Bloom in your opener, you use it to cast Temeshi, and then you have all this additional mana to just go off. Fascinating. All right, couple of weird aggro lists in this deck dump. One of them, Golgari Aggro, which is sort of like the rock in some ways. It's sort of Jun Saga with no with no red. I'm going to take a double double look at the deck list right now, but it's really leaning heavily on uh, Elvish Reclaimer as kind of a big part of it. But the thing that really stood out to me, I mean, there's a lot of cool cards in here. Just felt like, okay, we're we're not going to play with red anymore. We're just going to go all in on green black, which I think is cool to make the your mana base more simple. Uh, it, it is running for Witherbloom Command, which I thought was really um, fascinating. I know that this is a card that people, some people really, really love. I'm not sure if it's kind of like, hey, we're going to get rid of basically... I guess you can't get rid of opposing sagas with it. Like I'm trying to figure out exactly what you're trying to do with this. It does kill a Ragavan, but then what else is this doing? I don't know, but it's a cool list. And it's something we're checking out. Danny Starchild was the person who put this one together. You, uh, the thing you do with co command, I think you get your lands back. So like you can replay Urza sagas to, to make bigger constructs um, or, you know, to find like some of your, your cheap artifacts. And, and then maybe like it, it it has reach where it loses to gain to like you can maybe sometimes just like dome somebody you can uh, dome someone sign for four with that and an eternal witness yep that makes sense the other deck in here that was an interesting aggro list by milk dud great name uh is a teamer aggro deck that is basically what if cascade was aggro and so <laughs> It's Tarmogoyf, Ragavan, Dragon's Race Channeler, and then Shardless Agent and Blood Raid, Braid Elf just for value. Like, we're just going to go into stuff. I think it's a cool list. It's pretty interesting that this could be a thing. It's got Consider and Abundant yeah. Harvest. Like, uh, am, I, am I a weird person for thinking this looks better than Boomer Jund? Like, on paper? Like, yes. on paper. Like, and the reason for that is card selection. <laughs> like, this is like a Turbo Xerox creature deck. And it has some more interesting sideboard options than like Jund does. And the graveyard filling of things like consider Abundant Harvest, Expressive Iteration, Fire Ice. Yeah, all those things. Um, I think these are all things that you want to be doing in this deck because it powers up DRC, it powers up Tarmogoyf. Like the dream of Bloodbraid Elf into Shardless Agent into something seems pretty cool, but you probably don't get to live that very often. Uh, I don't know. This, this just looks like a more flexible and more powerful version of like classic Jund to me, but I'm sure it's not. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to see this deck again, but that's just me. I just, the liability of like cascading into all of your legendaries, like cascading into a uh, Ragavan or a Renin six, if you already have one on the board seems super annoying. Cascading into an unholy heat. If you don't have a target to <laughs> hit with it. It's not great. Yeah. seems super annoying. 
Always so a problem. I think, yeah, I mean, what I would rather do is just like put some rhinos in here, get rid of the dead cards, and then it's like, yeah, why would you play this over rhinos? That's the question. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Still fun. I mean, good. I appreciate the innovation. I just don't know if we're going to see it again. All right. Last big bucket we have in the rogues area is what I love to call mono red mig mid rogues. Now that we've done <laughs> these these kind of dex drops a couple of times, I can say that there are often two, three, four of these kind of like weird mono red decks that are floating around in deck dumps when you look at them. So in this one, we have mono red Eldrazi mid with Manus three, uh, 235. We have an Obosh aggro list from uh, M Tizzle, which I think is really kind of, it's really much more of kind of like a mid-range deck. It's running Chandra DTK and some other stuff as well. And then uh, we have that mono red mid-range that I talked about from M, M Hayashi. I, I think that there's always a way to do okay with decks like this, especially if you're someone who loves to play with Blood Moon and loves to be able to play with this kind of like mid, kind of like weird card advantage that Red gives you through, whether it's something like Hammer of Bogardin, whether it's Season Pyromancer. Like, I do think that there is a, a there's a, often a way for these decks to be good. I just don't think that they're ever going to be bigger, you know, be easier for people to play and stuff like that. Um, but there's always... I do think that there's always something here for people who really like this kind of archetype. Um, and then the last couple of decks we have in the drop, Orzov, Blink, Griefblade, we've talked about it a couple of times. People picked it up a couple weeks ago. You know, it seems like the pilot of this Nazart always does really well with it, but it seems hard for other people to pick up. And then there was a interesting Boros mid-range deck that I will we could go by SOS Walter that we could talk about sometime. And finally, a Boseju <laughs> liquid metal. Today. <laughs> Sorry, we're running out of time. And a uh, Boseju liquid metal kind of abuse deck, liquid metal coding. So it was kind of like we're gonna recur liquid metal code. Or we're gonna recur our. Um, Sorry, Boseju, turn your lands into artifacts and just kill them over and over again. Uh, kind of interesting to see that one make a 5-0 finally. I don't know how often it has in the last couple of weeks, but you know, I, I do think it's kind of like so unreliable. It's not really something that people are going to be into. All right, the People's Meta, part one. This is a lot of decks, a lot of stuff to uh, get some ideas from, I think. like we, I think we saw some decks that are a lot like the old decks, I, I had mentioned that Asmo Reanimator was one of my favorite lists from this dump. Did you guys have any like high level favorites? You're like, I kind of want to just do a league with that ASAP. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on board with the Reanimator stuff. Like I, I have for whatever reason, I'm not like a combo type of person, but I think that like sort of a mid rangey Reanimator strategy. I really do like casting uh, Archon of Cruelty. I think it's a or uh, Reanimating Archon of Cruelty. So I'm on board there. Uh, I also am interested in trying out Dredge again. I don't think Dredge is like any better than it once was, but like, you know, sometimes it's just fun to go back to the classics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's still kind of like, I'm going to keep in my eye on that Tamishi combo deck. I, I don't think I'm going to play it, but I feel like that's something that might stick around a little bit, or there could be something interesting going on there. I always like M. Hayashi's list. I would probably take a shot with that kind of thing for some fun. I don't want to sound too, too, you know, earlier I was like, I don't think we're going to see that team or team or aggro deck again. I would play it and give yeah. it a try. I mean, it seems more like up, up my alley than anything else. And then finally, I think out of the top tier for me, I think I'm going to probably give John Saga a shot, yeah. like the new John Saga and see what yeah. it feels like, see if it's good, all those kind of things. Um, that's kind of where my head is at. The big takeaway range. Me, 
Yeah, I like the. I think I like Tarmogoyf a little bit better right now. But the um, the one thing I would say, top level, and we'll see what happens when Shane gets his five minutes to talk about the Hunter Burton event here, though, is um, a lot of Yorian. A lot of people, like we we hinted at earlier, there's a lot of people just jamming Yorian in different decks here, and so. Let's kind of keep an eye on that over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So let's just roll right into the Hunter Burton. And if you're not familiar, the Hunter Burton Memorial Open is an annual fundraising event. It aims to raise awareness about suicide in gaming communities. And since 2014, there's been a large paper tournament that's held uh, around magic, I think primarily modern, to contribute to this cause. This is a great cause. Uh, I encourage you to look at the Hunter Burton Memorial Open website. I encourage you to donate. I think it behooves us to make a donation towards this, and I'm sure we will uh, tweet about that. So uh, try to match us. Do something good. Um, give some give something back to the community. This is the first big tournament also, of course, uh, more selfishly, to feature Lyris of the Dream Dan being banned. And that gives us something to talk about. So we had a complete metagame of 472 players. Yep, and so we talked about the uncut metagame, before, like the the wild brain and dreams of modern in that deck dump right now. Let's see what people actually took to a paper tournament. Yeah, right? so you know, paper is always interesting. This is like the true people's metagame, and I, I love that this we had this hand in hand with our first five zero deck dump with no Luris. We have a large paper tournament of people who want to come and have fun. They want to come and win. They're traveling from around the country uh, and. It's a fresh meta game, so let's see what people were thinking about as being the best deck or the deck they just wanted to play. So 472 people, we had, I'm just going to break this down by percentage rather than counts. So we had 10.5% Merktide, 7 and a half. That's big. Yeah, it's pretty big. I mean, it's much bigger than I think we've seen Merktide. 7.5% Burn. Ooh. You know, uh, Texas. Hot. It's hot in Texas. It's a real burn meta. Texas, Chicago, yeah. New York. Uh, Seattle, Cleveland, big, big burn metas, hot in Cleveland, baby. Seven and a half percent burn, uh, 5.7% amulet Titan, 5% uh, Azorius based control decks, hmm. almost 5% four color blink decks, almost 5% white based hammer decks, about 4% shadow decks, about 4% living end, 3% footfalls. And then we get into 2.3% Jund, and this is not Jund Saga, because this is a paper tournament, so I mean Jund. Uh, then there is... the same Foil you, you mean Foil, foil Jund, Jund, yes. And then there is also the matching, that percentage is Yawgmoth at 2.3, and then Demir-based reanimator strategies at 2.3. Just under that is Green-based Tron decks, and just under that is Heliod combo decks. And... Uh, because we usually cut off other around 2%. This is everything here below 1.9% is 187 other decks, almost 40% other. And so quick reactions to this overall metagame, post-Lyris paper metagame from you all. Well, I a much bigger drop-off in four-color blink and shadow and... Yeah, Hammer at 4.7 is kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, I d definitely expected all those decks to be higher than blue-white blue, blue -white control, for example. Mm. I probably expected all of them to be above Amulet Titan as well. I'm not too surprised that Murktide rose to the top and that Burn was not far behind. I don't know what that matchup is like, Stan, generally, Murktide versus Burn, but um, 
Bad you know, for Merktide. Yeah. Yeah. At, at least Burn is like favored, maybe 55 45. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I mean, the thing that honestly surprised me the most is 40% other, simply because even it's below 1.9%. So we did see a pretty broad meta here. Well, forty uh, percent other is pretty big for most modern tournaments that we've seen in in the past. I would say it usually clocks in closer to twenty five percent. So I think that that it's that's pretty cool. I just feel like if this was a moto tournament, I would share your surprises. But like this is, I think, paper stuff. I, I bet the the Vegas meta game was probably pretty similar in, in this regard in terms of like the spread across top decks versus other. That's true. Yeah, I think that that's that's a consequence of paper, and I think that in terms of the meta, I, well, I am actually surprised, Dave, too, that five point seven percent Amulet Titan because Amulet Titan start in paper always feels like there's that one player at the LGS who you know is going to bring Titan. Right. And like here we have a significant number of people. I think the total number of people is 27 out of 472. So, yeah, nearly 6%. And there certainly was that one player, Thamulet, this time. Anyway, <laughs> what happened in day two? Okay. So, day two, we have 58 players. And the percentage breakdown uh, is 10% Merktide, 8.6% Living End, 7% Titan, 7% Footfalls, 7% Burn. 5% Yogmoth, 5% Blink, 5% Hammer, and then mid threes on Azorius Base Control, Four Color Elementals, Jund Saga, and Demir Based Shadow Decks with 31% other. So, more importantly than me reading out some numbers, let's talk about the kind of rise, fall, stay the same. And our biggest rises here was Living End gained 5%. That's huge. Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah. Right. Um, Footfalls gained three, Yawgmoth gained three, four color elementals, which we didn't even mention in day one because it was in the other category, gained 3%. Uh, two of the, th- I mean, this is small sample size, two of the three four color elementals players made day two. Uh, Jun Saga gained about a percentage and a half, and Amulet gained about 1%, even going from day one to day two. Staying about the same, we saw Merktide, Burn, Blink, Hammer, and Shadow all about hold their metagame share. And then falling, we saw the Tron and Aldrazi Tron. I'm just going to lump them together here because only one of the 17 Tron-style decks made it to day two. Mm. Uh, it sounds pretty dramatic, of course, but it, it did half its metagame representation, uh, even only by having one of its 17 Tron decks make it to day two. I don't know how that's possible. It doesn't sound right when I say it out loud. Simply because it wasn't that big of a metagame representation in the first place out of 470X right. decks. And then uh, Azorius Space Control decks lost about 2%. Weird. And shocking. Zero of the 11 Jund players, regular old Jund, made day two. What's so weird? Oh, bummer. bummer. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> be looking at that deck. Well, Saga uh, is a different deck. Saga uh, did quite well going from day one to day two. True, true. So let's then, well, let's talk about this. Are you guys any surprises about our risers, fallers, maintainers between day one and day two? I mean, it looks to me like Cascade did very well in this metagame when you look at it that way. I mean, Cascade, Titan, and Murktide. Murktide managed to maintain its position, which is like fine, but those were all risers, really, Living End, Titan, and, and Footfalls. And so we're kind of looking at some combo decks doing well or what are essentially combo decks doing well. Yeah, I think Living End could like end up on the top row of MTG Goldfish this month after playing with it against it a little bit. Like 
that deck just feels absolutely insane. I, I personally, I think it might even be stronger than Rhinos. And it's like, unless you have very early graveyard hate that just kind of like takes the graveyard out of the game, Living Animal just like run you over and will really consistently find a Cascade spell in turn three because all their creatures cycle. So I, I, in that regard, based on some of my experiences this week, I'm not surprised to see Living End have such a big conversion into day two at, in this particular tournament. All right, since we are running out of time, let's get through the top eight really fast. So um, our top eight begins with Kyle Horn with 34 match points on Is It Merktide? This deck looks pretty darn stock to me. So that we'll move on to 33 points. That's 11 wins, I believe. It, uh, Robert Wagner on Yogmoth and this one looks pretty similar to most decks you'd see. They are going for the Singleton Hapatra Vizier of Poisons, which is a cool include, and also has the Essence Warden as another option. But uh, by and large, it looks like Yogmoth. And then going into third place at 32 points, it's Arjun Bose on Is It Breach? So a deck. That's, grind, that's Grinding Station. Oh, grinding Station. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. So we have a Grinding Station combo deck just coming kind of out of nowhere. And finishing in there, we have 32 points as well. Michael Smith on Goblins. Certainly looks like wow. Goblins to me. Oh, yeah. It's Goblins. <laughs> All right. We're doing it. Uh, and then 31 points, Gary Wong on Amulet Titan. And this is a not a Yorian version, not an Ephemerate version. Just normal old 60 card. It has the three turn timber, timber symbiosis, and it has the... Uh, to Cultivator Colossus. It is the kind of stock version, if you can call something stock from Amulet Titan. Then we go to 31 points also, Damien Del Nero on Eldrazi Tron. So, wow, that one, one <laughs> Tron person made it from day one to day two and then made it all the way to the top eight, huh? I mean, I just feel like Eldrazi Tron people, if they're still taking the deck, they're like the kind of people who just play the deck and then they probably they know the lines. Yeah. Now I will say one thing really quickly here. So I was looking around the Etron decks that deck that I saw in the drop. This deck has two Urza Saga in it, which is not something that I think I've seen a ton in Eldrazi Tron lists when I was looking around over the week or previous to now. And so that's that's interesting to see. Looks like what they can search up with it is kind of your normal stuff. Relic. Relic. <laughs> All right. Then we'll head into uh, 31 points as well. Nathaniel Muncy's on our four-color uh, Omnath Yorian deck. This looks... What version would you call this one? Just like four-color Omnath? I'm bringing up the deck list right now. For me, this is... No, this is Elementals. Oh, yeah, you're right. This is more four-color Elementals, yeah. Risen Reef, Mole Drifter. Yep. Right on. Your fun of Titania. El, El Damry's Call. Yeah, this is this is your 80-card 80 card elementals build. This is the canister list from from the FIBO drop almost. And then our last deck, also at 31 match points, we have Zach McKeown on Grixis Death Shadow. So this looks like Grixis Death Shadow, but strangely does not have Loris of the Dream Den. But it does have yeah. Jengatha. Yeah. Because why not? <laughs> not a that, meme. Jengatha, it's not a meme. It's not a meme. It's <laughs> this is the companion they're going with in this deck. So I don't know the final eight standings, but I do know that Gary Wong on Amulet Titan did win for the second time. <laughs> oh man, he won the last. He won the last Hunter Burton as well. Yeah, really, so Gary? Uh, yeah, on a tear. I think they know what they're doing. Wow, I would not okay. want to face it down Gary Wong on Amulet Titan. Yes, T Turtle Power is telling us that he was on Rhinos last time, not Amulet, oh. and I guess he's a Phoenix player. 
As in from Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, okay. Oh, well, okay. awesome. Well, that explains that. Okay, so... I don't want to play against him in Texas. <laughs> so let's say, I mean, we'll go a little bit long here. And let's say, what did we learn from this paper tournament? Different than the different than the deck dump because we, we have frequency information here. We know what people thought they wanted to bring. And I think people... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go from... Because I've been thinking about this since I've been calculating all this information is... People were pretty scared to take their Luris decks back out here. They didn't want to uh, take something like Hammer. They didn't want to take something like Shadow. They were, I mean, Hammer I thought would be like, you know, 12 to 14% if it wasn't for the Luris ban. And same with something like Rix's Death Shadow. But people uh, just decided to bring different decks entirely and go somewhat safe, like Merktide is a safe, like, paper, end-boss-style deck. Uh, Amulet Titan is definitely, like, a aficionado deck. Of course, you're going to see control-based decks. You're going to see uh, the classic Jun-style decks show up. And then kind of some, not pet decks, but decks where they're more aficionado decks, again, like Reanimator or Yawgmoth or things like that. And so I'm not surprised by that, but I'm pretty blown away which is a different version of saying surprised, I guess, of the how quickly people were able to abandon and willing to abandon uh, the, the Luris base decks. My learning is that either Luris decks kept down combo, and for that reason, combo is maybe now in a position where it can flourish a little bit more. That's actually something that scares me a lot, I would say, Stan. I think it's a good observation. But I, I will say to that, though, it may just be that people were not prepared for combo. And I think one of the reasons why we didn't see control really rise to the top, per se, is because I think control needs to find its new footing. And it, it might not be like Chalice of the Void style control decks moving forward, whether it's Blue, White, Just Guy or something else. And it's just like, if combo is going to be the thing, we just need to figure out how to deal with it. But I don't think that the combo strategies we're seeing here, you know, Grinding Station, Goblins, Yogmoth are the type of decks that are potentially dangerous. If anything, it's good that they have a little bit of an uptick because like in the case of Breach and Goblins in particular, like these were fringe decks. Goblins, like we haven't talked about that in earnest in a long time with the exception of like maybe recapping some of Spike's trophy races where he was racking them up. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's eight different decks in here. I will say there really isn't an aggro list here. Like the most aggressive list on on here probably is Grixis Shadow, which is a weird thing to say. You know, that tempo-y kind of vibe is kind of where they're at. You know, Elemental is not particularly aggressive. Etron's not Amulet. So I, I, I do, it is interesting to see that nothing aggressive made it into the top eight. And realistically, nothing aggressive really performed very well going from day one to day two. Hammer kind of maintained its its um, share, and that that was really it. Nothing else, yeah. the burn lost. There wasn't really any other aggressive decks that came that were in that top of the meta. So maybe maybe we're entering a little bit of a combo mid-rangey kind of vibe right now. Yeah, what surprises me too is that we had a number of decks that are playing Thoughtseize, right? And you might just be like, well, if uh, if Luris isn't there, then Thoughtseize decks are gone. But we still we did see the presence of Jund and uh, Jund Saga, and it's not like those decks performed particularly well into a combo kind of meta because eventually you do run out of hand disruption and the counterspell decks do run out of counterspells, and so. 
Uh, I am like Stan said, I'm curious to see how living end and we saw footfalls gained traction. I'm curious to see how well these decks can perform into the new meta. And last question for you all, because the citizens want to hear the listeners want to hear seeing this data, seeing the deck dumps. If you wanted to win your next FNM or try to five Oh a league, what would you be taking into the leagues right now? Living end. That's what I was going to say, too. Woohoo! Which is a deck I've never played, so maybe like, <laughs> we can come back next week and be like, what did we learn playing Living End? Stand it's hard. Slash Dave. But yeah, like I kind of feel like this is going to have a moment real soon. I think I'd play Burn. Like, I was... that. That was literally the other deck that I was thinking, Shane, was... Uh, what would I tell someone? I would tell someone Living End. What would I play? Maybe I'll spend some time playing Burn, which I've never really done. Oh, but, man, um, but I've played a lot of Prowess, so I can probably change my mind a little bit and get there. Yeah, I think... I mean, I, and I think it's also a world where, in paper, we continue to see Yawgmoth continue to do just fine and win. I think it did well at the last paper tournament, right? There was like a top eight Yawgmoth deck... And there's something to be said for reps and time and not having to go through a combo on Magic Online. But uh, I'm to tie a bow on this one, I'm amped that we had this paper tournament just coinciding so neatly with the banning. It really gives us an idea of the people's meta, what people are interested in playing and afraid to play. And let's keep our eyes on this as we have more tournaments. You know, Dave, you and I are going to a modern 30K. This is not a. This is a high stakes, high EV tournament. I'm curious to see how many people are going to show up to this one, uh, and what the paper meta game is going to look like there. All right, and just like that, we're going to wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question or just reach out to us in general, you can tweet us at the Dive Down, all one word. You can email the dive down at gmail.com as well. You can also support the show over at Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. You can even support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. Use coupon code the dive down 2022, all one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic online cards. You can also use the code the dive down 2022 over at Barrister and Man. Get some soap. Get some shaving products smell good be happy spring is in the air and it can be on your skin barrister and man code the dive down 2022 15 off your first order there as always special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and play no I told them that calling me Dave was below calling me bro. So the order is dad, bro, and then Dave. And he's like, no, no, no. It's the other way around. It's Dave, bro, and then dad. And I'm like, oh, boy.